Now, today I want to look at an interesting piece of Scripture with you and kind of build an argument that truth, truth extends itself with compassion. And today I want to look at, really, the compassionate heart of the gospel. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse number 14. Interesting text. Now, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul, when he lays out this writing to the believers in Ephesus, here's what he's saying. The first three chapters is all about identity. This is who you are in Christ. You can read through it repeatedly. He's talking about, man, because now you belong to Jesus. This is what God says about you. This is your identity. Identity will always precede activity. Because of who we are now, this is how we're to live. So he begins uh, in chapter 4 by saying there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. And God in Christ is the Lord of all. And then he goes on to say right here as he continues to write about our conduct and activity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're no longer children that's just going to be ripped off and, and, and taken anywhere. He goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects in him who is the head, even Christ. Powerful, powerful passage. Notice these four we are statements that Paul kind of establishes with these early believers. First thing he says is this. We are no longer to act like a child. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Even Paul would write in Corinthians. He said, you know, when I was a child, I used to think as a child and I used to reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish behavior. Child. One of the manifestations, if you will, of a child is just being irresponsible. Another is just being impulsive, living for the moment, doing whatever satisfies themselves. And so when you look at a child, a child is not even at, entered into adolescence. They haven't become a man. They are far from being a mentor. They will probably never see themselves as a patriarch when they live as a child. They're impulsive. They're irresponsible. They live for the moment. Paul's writing saying, hey, 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 listen, listen. We're no longer children now. We've come to know the king, and the king has given us a new identity and a new purpose and a new direction for life. Now, we're not, we're not kids anymore. Now, 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 it's time to grow up. Then he goes on to say, we are not to be misled or deceived by corrupt doctrine. Now, doctrine is absolutely crucial for direction. Doctrine is what drives who we are. It's the DNA when we get into the scripture. We look at the essential doctrines in the word. He goes, now, now, grow up a little bit here. Mature. You're not a child anymore. Don't allow every doctrine that comes your way. Don't buy into it. Test the spirits. See if they're of God or not. Oh, stop. But here's the problem in our culture. Most people fundamentally at the core avoid conflict at all costs. Most people will avoid conflict. 
And in doing so, they will appease others. And in doing so, they will start to entertain corrupt, deceitful, trickery-style teachings because they're afraid of conflict. It's been said that the quest for peace often leads to negotiated slain truth, which means people will oftentimes slay truth for the sake of carrying on temporal happiness with others, and in doing so, they crucify the truth. Being compassionate has nothing to do with slaying the truth. We live in a society of tolerance, as I said last week. And tolerance says whatever you do, ever what your opinions are, your beliefs are, your behavior is, even if it's sinful or hurtful, tolerance says I have to be able to embrace that as being okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to slay truth. It's not okay to entertain and embrace whatever doctrine or teaching or scheme comes your way. So Paul is laying it out. We're not, we're not children anymore. We're going to pay attention to what other people are saying. And then he says, three, speak the truth in love. Now, now we are to speak the truth in love, 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 which means we're not here to blow everybody up. We're not here to tell everybody why they're wrong. We're here to speak the truth, but yet do it in love. It's been said, Warren Wiersbe, that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. And so when you speak the truth and you withhold any love, it's brutal. But when you claim that you're loving and you trivialize truth, it's hypocritic. And so God has called us to grow up. Fourth thing, that's what he says. We're to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to to get on with being who God's called us to be. And so who is God called to grow up and mature? Every person that claims their identity is found in Jesus and him alone. Now, we were talking the other day, Nick and Mike and I were talking about this. There is a huge difference in fighting for the truth and fighting against a lie. Because of who we are in Christ and because of the doctrines and the disciplines that God's laid out, we're fighting from the truth. We're fighting for the truth. But so many people find themselves engaged in arguments that all they want to do is fight against a lie. If you fight against a lie and the lie is exposed to be a lie, you still haven't established anything that's going to give the person hope and meaning and direction. So when we're fighting from the truth and fighting for the truth, we're fighting for what matters to God. Come on. We're fighting for what matters to God. So here's a premise statement I want to make to you. From the beginning of time, God has always been compassionate. It's who he is. His character doesn't change. And and even when you study the pages of the scripture, he repeatedly says, my compassion never fails. My compassion never fails. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is dealing with the religious, with the performers, with the the duty uh, people of that day. They were all about uh, 
placing a yoke of duty on people, and you've got to do more, and you don't measure up, and you'll never measure up. And they take the, the Ten Commands, and they add about another 600 uh, to these commands, and they've got all these laws they're trying to live up to. And Jesus looks and makes this statement. L- l- listen to what he says. Go and learn what this means. Matthew 9. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion. Not sacrifice. I've come to call the sinner, not the righteous. Jesus goes, y'all go learn what I mean by this. Y'all go learn that I am a compassionate Savior. Now, let me break down compassion for you. It's in your notes. Compassion. Compassion is a deep awareness of, of the suffering of another. Compassion is when you're able to look at another person and you feel this deep awareness in your soul, plus it's coupled with the desire to come alongside and help relieve it. Compassion. I'm hurting for you. I care about you. And deep down inside, I want to come alongside and, and help relieve some of the pain you're in. In the Greek, the word means to have inward affection with deep Feelings of pity. It's this aching of the soul. When you study the word compassion, listen to me. It it deals with a lot of the the terminology and translations will say it's the bowels within you being stirred up. You, you, You ever hurt in your gut for somebody? And that's what he's saying right here. I desire compassion. I want you to know that in the center of who I am, I hurt for people. I absolutely ache for people who are separated and alienated and and distant. And so compassion defined means suffering with another. Compassion is an action word. It's not a stand still and do nothing word. Compassion has feet. Compassion doesn't ignore the pain that it sees. Compassion engages with the desire to point people to the king and to walk with you in your mess. Did you hear me? Compassion means I'm willing to engage in your journey with you and walk through the mess of your struggle. Anybody got a messy story in here? If you don't have one, I'd like to meet you. All of us are a mess. All of us were born into sin. Now, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindness never ceases. The Lord's loving kindness, the kindness of the Lord that's loving and extended, it never ceases. His compassions never fail. Great is his faithfulness. Every morning we have new mercies of the Lord we see. God is compassionate. So God's character toward us is all about compassion and mercy. Now let me give you some pretty cool teaching here. Now the word mercy... In the Old Testament, incorporated three things. Write this down. This is good. The word mercy in the Old Testament incorporated three things. Number one, it was a covenant of compassion initiated by the Lord. So when you see the word mercy and compassion, oftentimes they're almost uh, interchangeable there. They're they're, they're Siamese kind of twins, if you will. And so when you see it, mercy, it was a covenant of compassion initiated by the Lord. I sit here today as a redeemed child of the Lord because he initiated. I didn't initiate with God. 
God initiated with me. God showed me his love. God showed me my separation from him. Number two, all right, so you, you get this covenant of compassion that's initiated by the Lord. Number two, it's a consuming commitment from the Lord to pursue you with his love. It is a consuming commitment. God is consumed with his compassion to pursue us. I'm like, that is awesome. Because no matter how lost you may feel or how bad you think you've been, the Lord is pursuing you. I talked to a guy today out of state on the way over this morning at about 7. And he was telling me, he was telling me that his daughter had this failed attempt with pills and suicide. And he says, I looked at her and says, do you believe in God? And she said, God doesn't believe in me. That's a sad little place to get for a 21-year-old girl. What she's saying is this. I don't know his compassion, and I don't believe that he's continually pursuing me with his love. I believe that I've gone out of bounds. I'm beyond his love. And people get there, and they get depressed, and they wallow in their self-pity. Third thing. So, it's this covenant of compassion initiated by the Lord. It's a consuming commitment to pursue us. And it's God offering to us everlasting communion with himself. I love it that God now in Christ, once I become his child, says, now, I want you to commune with me. I want you to hang with me. I I, I want you to dine with me. I get that for eternity. I get to break bread and drink of the cup forever and ever and ever because of the promise of God to offer me this communion. Come on. So here's my question to you today. Here's my question to you. How many of you walked in here today and you would say, man, I am a candidate and I am in need of the compassion and mercy of the Lord? Yeah. I need every day, even as a redeemed child of the king, I need his compassion. I need him to identify with my suffering. I need him to enter into my pain. I need him to offer me the communion. I need it. Now, how many of you would say there's some people in your world, whether it's family and whether it's friends and whether it's coworkers, and you're just thinking about them right now, and you would say, I know some people that could use a dose of his compassion and mercy. I, I, I know some people that could benefit from his compassion and mercy. Jesus extends compassion, but he also extends his compassion through us. We're part of the game. The game is not just praying a prayer where you don't go to hell and jumping in a tank of water and getting wet, where you feel like, hey, my eternity is secure. We're in the game 24-7. Jesus extended compassion to the lost. Look at this passage here in Matthew 9. Seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them. Seeing all these people, he said they're sheep without a shepherd. They're distressed. They're dispirited. Look at all these people. 
and he felt compassion. There was an aching in his soul, in his gut, and he goes, I'm willing to suffer with you. I'm willing to suffer for you ultimately on the cross. I'm willing to engage in your mess with you. I'm willing to hurt with you and provide the ultimate relief for you. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says he looked out and he saw all these people, sheep without a shepherd. And then he made this observation. He said, guys, look at me. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Just look around you. Look at all the people in your world who don't have hope and don't have peace and don't have direction. Look, look, there's people dying and going to hell and people are blowing themselves up. But, but, but there's not many workers. It's not a harvest issue. It's a worker issue. One, one of the ladies in their small group, her and her husband and this other couple, man, they've got a cool small group that's meeting on Wednesday night. She sends Barb and I a note on on Thursday and just talking about how God is working in their small group and how people are starting to connect and people are starting to expose their soul and people are starting to open up and move. And she basically said this, I am so thankful that you guys have given us the opportunity to work alongside God to see stories redeemed. And I read her note the other day, and I was like, she's in the work. She's in the game. She's engaging with other people. Yes. You know the people that gripe the most are the ones on the sidelines who are not in. People that are playing the game, that are sweating and are hurting, they pull for each other. And Jesus goes, look, look at the world. Man, it's, it's ripe unto harvest. Pray that God will send forth workers. Pray that people will step up to the plate. Jesus had a heart for the lost. He also had a heart for the, the sick. Cool story in Mark chapter 1. I mean, the religious people were all hanging in this temple, and, and Jesus is walking by. And this leper who was considered unclean, dirty, stained, he cries out to Jesus, Jesus! If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, if you're willing, listen to what he says, and moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this man and said, I'm willing, be clean. And I don't care what kind of disease or difficulty or pain that you're encountering today in your world. Here's what I know. If you're willing... God can use you to have transforming impact on those people in your world. If you're willing, I'm willing. Who lives inside of me? Jesus Christ. What do I know about the heart of Jesus? He's willing. He's willing to get dirty. He's willing to hear some jacked up funky stories from people. He's willing to engage in the journey with people. He's willing So Jesus extended compassion to the lost man. I hurt for you. To the the leper who was sick. He extended compassion to the adulteress. John chapter 8, a woman is caught in the very act of adultery. She's brought to Jesus. All of a sudden, these religious leaders are standing around saying, Jesus, look at her. 
She's a harlot. She's no good. She's worthless. The law of Moses said, stone her, kill her. What do you say? What do you say? And so many people over the years have said, man, I struggle with going to church because I feel judged. Well, I'm sorry, based on your church experience, you've had that encounter. But let me tell you the heart of Jesus. He looks at this woman, and then he looks at these accusers. And he says, you who have never jacked it up in sin, throw the first rock at her. He leveled the playing field. If you've never messed it up, stone her. And one by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. And then the scripture says, Jesus is left face to face with this woman. And he goes, where are your accusers? Which what he was saying is this, I'm not accusing you. I didn't come to accuse. I came to offer compassion and hope. Where are your accusers? And she said, there is none. And he says, now, neither do I. But go and don't sin anymore. Now, some people will think that, hey, because he offers compassion and he's a forgiving God, I can still live like hell and do whatever I want to do. Jesus not only offered compassion, but gave her an assignment. What has crippled your life are these less wild lovers. What's got you all messed up is you've turned to the wrong thing. Now listen, I forgive you, but don't go do that anymore. His heart is compassion, but assignment follows. Jesus extended compassion to the demon-possessed. You look at Mark chapter 5. I mean, the, the, the Gospels are replete of stories of the compassionate heart of Jesus. Mark 5, you've got this guy who's living in the tombstones. He, he's living in the cemetery. He is a mad man. He's gashing himself. He's out of control. He would probably be labeled bipolar, manic, whatever in our society. But he had an encounter with the compassionate heart of Jesus. And he meets Jesus, and Jesus touches this dude. And the scripture says that when others came and saw him, he was seated. He was clothed. He was running around naked. The dude was crazy. And he was in his right mind. And Jesus looked and said, listen to what he told him. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Come on. Come on. Man, story after story after story of the heart of heaven being compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. I'm willing to suffer with you. I love you. I made you in my image. I redeemed you with my blood. I'm, I'm wanting to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I want Christ in you to be the hope of your story. Come on. I want you to know me. And if there's been imposters that told you Jesus was a different way, he's not a cosmic sheriff. He's not looking just to lock you up and beat you up. He's looking to free you, reconcile you, redeem you. I love Jude. Jude, verse 20 says, 
Now, you, followers of Jesus, you who are under the blood, you who know the king, you must continue to build your lives on the foundation of your holy faith. You keep building a strong foundation. Stay locked into this holy faith that God's given. Continue to pray as you're directed by the Holy Spirit. Continue to talk to God. Pray without ceasing. Keep, keep your language with God alive. Live in such a way, live in such a way that God can bless you as you wait for his eternal life. The one that Jesus Christ himself in his mercy is going to give you. Live in such a way. Don't forfeit it. Don't become calloused. Don't, don't, don't buy into easy believism. Live in such a way based on this mercy that you're going to have with him. Then he goes on to say, now show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Come on. Now, now, now when you meet a person whose faith is wavering, show mercy, which means extend the compassion and kindness of God to those who are living in misery. Don't, don't write them off. Don't sever them. Don't tell them they're no good. Don't, don't no, no. show mercy to them just like God showed mercy to you. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of hell and judgment. That's what he says. Rescue them. Grab them by the stinking throat. You're on your way to hell, dude. You need to grow up. Let's go. Really? Yes. Well, they might get mad. Well, they might get over it. They might get appreciative. Snatch them. Stop it. You're living like hell. Now, quit, quit, quit that. Others, you need to show mercy to, but be careful that you don't become contaminated by their sin. So, so, so watch what you're doing. If you've got alcohol, drug, whatever kind of issues, make sure you know what playground you're meeting with a drug addict or the drunk on. That's what he's saying. If you've been contaminated, don't get back over there into that cesspool of living. You, you know that's a bad place for you. But show mercy. Show mercy. So here's my wrap. You guys are so attentive, man. I love it. <laughs> Since you have received mercy and compassion, now God calls us to go into the world and extend this mercy and compassion to others. Now let me give you a working definition of extend. The word extend means to offer, to make available, to provide, to reach out. What are you doing? You ever hear people say, hey, we're doing an outreach. All we're doing is reaching out. All we're doing is extending the love of Christ. Who can do it? All of us. It means going out of my way to provide a helping hand to someone who might be in need. It means giving up some of my pleasurable time, even potentially resources and other things to say, yeah, I'm willing to go out of my way. It means offering a helping hand of kindness to someone that you probably don't even know. It means extending the compassion of Christ where no one is going to be impressed with you.